0: everyone here we are once again um bonus bitch uh <laughs> i am joined once again by nato green and professor robin dg kelly i so excited because we didn't have a chance to get into talking about the bessemer vote and and what happened in alabama this week um there was so much excitement i think uh a lot of, mostly on the internet um but a lot of excitement i think from from young progressives and radicals and folks um, who have been waiting and wanting for there to be a renewed um, union movement in this country, um, looking to Bessemer, covering it heavily. We we talked to Kim Kelly, who, who was covering it, journalists talked to Ken Klippenstein, who'd been covering all of the mm-hmm. Amazon shenanigans and all the shit that they were pulling and like, you know, all their bullshit social media strategy. And I guess it worked because in the end, um, the union vote did fail um, and by quite a lot. So let's see, about 738 voted in favor um, and 1,798 voted against. And this is a warehouse with about 5,800 workers in total. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. Robin, you said you wrote something recently, sort of a quick response to the... the the, the failed union vote. And I know you had spoken a lot about it before, but what was your reaction and what what
1: are you, give us a sneak peek. Right, right. Well, I was of course disappointed. And I was one of those who um, who actually had optimism that they would actually win the vote. But you said something really key. You said a lot of excitement on the internet. And, <laughs> you know, I know we're going to talk about John, about, about um, um, Jay uh, uh article but, you know, so much of what we understood was from the internet. And, yes. and I was called to talk about the kind of historical uh, background, having written about Alabama. But, you know, there's, I think, key lessons to learn from what happened. Um, uh, there's good and bad. The, 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 the good is that there are more people now talking about labor possibly supporting the PRO Act a conversation about labor that probably wouldn't have happened had all eyes not been on Bessemer. Right. Um, and that's significant. But then I also would argue that union busting tactics definitely worked, but they didn't have to work that hard because union busting tactics have been the sort um, uh, the, of the prevailing practice for 40 years. Mm. So what, what so what um, the union was up against was years of this belief that, you know, all individuals are human capital, uh, that, you know, we should take personal responsibility, that unions are a drain on right. society, that unions, you know, just basically take your dues, pay bloated salaries to, to union bosses, um, and that capitalists are the makers and, and workers are the takers. So there's a culture. The anti-union culture runs so deep that, and tie that to the fear of losing a job where you're making $15 an hour, which is twice the minimum wage.
0: Um,
1: And so, you know, but of course, the the key lessons also have to do with the failure of the union to do um, actual on-the-ground home visits, grassroots work, and also getting the support of the Bessemer Birmingham uh, community, especially the black community behind it.
0: Mm. Nato, do you want to weigh in on that particular piece or, yeah?
2: Well, I mean, so I would, um, you know, just in terms of the, um, uh, you know, what you were saying about it sort of, you know, being compelling to the internet, it's like that there was a way that like that that the that this campaign was from central casting in terms of appealing to the left it was like <laughs> in in alabama you know there was this story that it was like a majority black workforce or you know almost all black workforce that it was you know uh so that it was a a, a labor organizing struggle that was inspired you know or somehow related to the black lives matter movement okay. in the context of the pandemic against amazon the biggest and evilest company and um, became
0: yeah, trillionaire Jeff Bezos right. became and a trillionaire so, in the pandemic.
2: You know, it's like it, like like that. It's a perfect story, and you know, one of the things that um, you know about uh, black people is that, as I have come to learn, is that black people are very much like people, like all people, and <laughs> that, in that uh, black people are complicated and are not all yeah. one thing, and that like, <laughs> and so. You know, it's uh, c- could you sort of? I mean, I feel like m- I, maybe there's a there's a more elegant way of putting it, and maybe someone who has a PhD will have thought about it. But I, I feel <laughs> like like the non-black left has a level of sentimentality about the role of black liberation that yes. that, that that misses actual existing black people and their struggles. Hmm.
1: Uh, no, no question about that. <laughs> that that Ooh. is so true. In fact, and and you know when we talk about, I mean, we could talk about this with respect to unions. We could talk about with respect to the Democratic Party. Yes. Um, and I think that it, it is it is true, um, even, even if you go back to the historical precedence, the, the height of union organizing among mine, mine mill and smothered workers, uh, union in, in Bessemer, that a large segment of the black community was against them. They said they're communists. Mm. Um, in fact, there was a segment of the black community in Alabama, in Birmingham, that was against extending the right to vote to black working people. There was another organization that was created in response to the right to vote clubs. And that's then, even now we can imagine, you know, the, the lesson was that a lot of the black clergy, the black organizations didn't necessarily come out in support of the workers and you know, we should expect that. This is why I always have trouble when people say, well, you know, I want you to talk about the Black liberation movement and unions. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's not even the right, that's not even the right question, because you're assuming somehow that that they're separate. And then when you talk about Black liberation movement, you think of it as the whole people. Yeah. And, and even the history of the, civil, of the civil rights movement has never been majority. It's never been a majority. It's been basically organizers, sometimes smaller groups than we imagine, uh, right. making a lot of difference with opposition from people who look like them. Right. You know?
2: I, I I mean, I, I have literally had Black union members in Oakland telling me that they didn't want the union to be involved in the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a debate that we've had internal to our union. You know what I mean? It's, so it's mm-hmm. like the and And it's you know, in that there's no getting around ha- having that debate like it's you know, you sort of want people to be the your radical fantasy, but sometimes people people have all kinds of different ways of really understanding the
0: world right, right. yeah we're we're talking about the Bessemer vote in Alabama, which failed uh, recently and and I think you know, I wanted to bring up Jane McAlevey because NATO, you and I had this awesome event before COVID um, and Jane, we did the situation room live and Jane came on and we like literally talked about um, someone is like myself, who's never been a union union organizer, but she has it down to a science as to the steps and like the, what she calls structure tests as to, you know, building, building interest, then building like, okay, the, the union cards about whether you want to have a vote or not. Um, right and then it like goes from there and then you have you know the membership just all the ways that you can that you will know when you arrive at the vote whether or not you're going to win and i think one of the you know the blind one of the many blind spots here was that you know for example organizers didn't actually know how many workers were in the plant in the this particular warehouse um when they set off to do this so that that's a pretty big oversight. Um, One other thing that she, this is small, but she wrote, the semantics and messaging, this is Jane McAlevey in The Nation. The semantics and messaging raised concerns beyond the dues conversation. Uh, a pro union placard after pro union placard messages proclaimed slogans as, the union is on your side. In the many videos flowing out of Bessemer on social media, activists and organizers reg- regularly talked about the union, as if the union is something other than the workers who are trying to form one. A better slogan would have been, When workers unite, real change happens or anything that didn't make the union sound like a building name or a street address. Um, I just want to talk to you, NATO. I don't know. In your experience, is that does that ring true to you? That like, again, what what also Robin was saying is that you imagine the union is this nebulous fat cats and whatever, when it really is just the workers.
2: Yeah, I mean, that there are there are. Uh, yeah, it's it's like we we you know that that kind of language takes it out of um, you know the the I mean the the sort of the the overarching point that Jane is making in her piece, which which uh, you know a lot of veteran organizers agree with, is that like you know Amazon is going to attempt to frame it as a, a you know a victory for Amazon and a vindication for their business model and a repudiation of the union movement, and mostly it's a failure of method. Right, like that yeah. There are there are best practices that we know, and if you don't do those best practices, then you're going to lose, and it's your fault. Um, right, and like it, few and you know, rare is the time that you f- execute best practices perfectly and still lose. And so the you know the core principle of good union organizing is that is that um, uh, workers have to be the architects of their own liberation, um, and that like so when i go and first meet with a group of workers the first thing that we talk about is how no one is coming to the rescue there's no mm. politician that's going to save us save us the press is not going to be on our side the courts aren't going to be on our side there's no like that that the that the core of our success is their willingness to engage in direct confrontation with their employer publicly mm. and if and if we can't do that then doesn't matter how righteous the things are that we want then we're going to lose and Um, and you have no business organizing. Like, it's like, why do you even want to organize a union if you don't believe that working people can, are capable of playing that role in creating their own history? Right.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, and I think a lot of people from the outside in are like, well, this exactly the, the, the media, I mean, I'm, I take heart in the fact that that exactly what you're saying that despite the media coverage despite the echo chambers online of the left were super excited about this that that didn't mean there was a victory by the same token the negative press coverage the like oh this was a win for amazon and i guess they don't want a union that also matters but maybe less so than the going forward the redoubled efforts the actually going through and and doing the structure tests and doing all the work that has to be done will matter um Just as and I think Robin mentioned this, that, yes, there was a they foregoed the sort of door knocking and the very face to face um, organizing that is pretty much always done in a union drive. Um, They relied mostly on online organizing and Amazon absolutely tried to thwart their their in-person efforts as well, using covid restrictions, changing the stoplights, punishing people for time off task and all that other bullshit.
1: Yeah. Well, who, who am I to disagree with, with the great Jane <laughs> Uh But there's there are a couple things that I think I would adjust. Because I actually, I agree in principle. But there's two things I just would throw, throw out. One is that um, just in fairness, um, the RWDSU was very successful at organizing poultry workers. And that's why they did this work. And part of the reason they were successful because they did do those steps. Um, I mean, there were people in the plant uh, who were the primary organizers of the union and they succeeded, which against all odds. But in fairness, they started this campaign just a few months ago um, during a pandemic. So home visits would be already difficult given the circumstances and unique. And then also the surveillance apparatus uh, in the Amazon warehouse and on the campus is so overwhelming that you know the idea you couldn't organize on on within the warehouse it just was impossible so I think that she probably acknowledges that the conditions were even if you do everything right and given the short time frame the conditions were not uh, optimal but that's all the reason why the organizing has to continue. This is just like the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like this is the test for what do we be a long campaign. And, and remember, you know, Amazon was, was formed in 1994. Uh, 1995 was when the AFL-CIO had a kind of new wave of leadership coming out of justice for janitors, which was a, a very successful, I think most of the successful movement that did exactly that. They did long term organizing, you know, community based you know, looking at race and gender and immigration and undocumented workers, they did all that work and built a robust union. So I think we're just at the beginning of something as opposed to the end.
2: R- Robin, can you talk about sort of what, like the national significance of union organizing in the South?
1: Oh, well, um, okay. sorry, I got company. Um, the The South of course, is, has a history, a longer history of um, uh, right to work laws, of union busting. And it's just very, very difficult to organize, no matter what the legacy is, no matter what the history is. Mm. Um, it's much more difficult. And Alabama, in particular, is unique because they not only have a longer history of right to work laws going back to 1953, but in 2016, as a result of voter suppression laws, the legislature was able to um, make right to work uh, a a constitutional amendment, you know? So it's really, really a very, it's like like you're going to the most difficult place to organize. And the fact that they got this far, I think, should be inspiration as opposed to like, you know, the death knell. Right.
2: The, the, you know, what you said about the time frame is super important that my understanding is that the organizing drive started last summer and then by, you know, they were talking about filing in November um, and, you know, the, in, in organizing terms, we call this hot shop organizing, like, you, like, you know, as opposed to like, you, you know, you get like, you know, sometimes as an organizer, you get a phone call where it says, you know, we want to organize a union. And then, you know, and every, and people got pissed off about something and you pass out union cards and a bunch of people sign union cards all of a sudden, and it moves really quickly because people are upset about something. And sometimes that can work, but it's not ideal. Like it is very hard to do that, like with hot shop organizing, um, you know, with, with union organizing because of the kind of like union busting offensive that Amazon deployed, we anticipate that kind of union busting fight in every organizing drive and we prepare for it and plan for it and we we call it inoculating the workers to for it you know like when i started organizing uh you know t- over 20 years ago you know i would tell people i guarantee you that right before the election the highest ranking woman in the company will cry publicly and people <laughs> people would be like you would be like that's ridiculous what are you talking about uh and then it would happen, and they'd be like, "You're a wizard,"
0: um, <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, you know. Oh, so if you do God. it right, it's like
0: um Cheryl Sh- kind of, Sandberg tears here.
2: Yeah, these are Cheryl Sandberg tears. Okay. If you do it right, it's like you know, it it helps strengthen the the union in the in the workplace. Um, and if you do it wrong, you get blown out because people get confused. Um, and so, but so it's like organizing is always a race against time to build up, to reach as many workers and prepare them before the boss deploys their fight. So we talk right. about building a committee and building the structure and inoculating the workers. And, and te- you know, we want to get as much support as we can before we go public, we call it. Um, because, you know, if you go out too quickly with a small minority and then the boss unleashes their anti-union campaign, maybe it turns out that, you know, uh, like... You actually the small the people that you had weren't actually representative of the whole workforce, mm-hmm. or they were socially isolated from everyone else, or their coworkers didn't like them, and then you get stuck, right? So uh, that's the that's the risk of of hot shop organizing as opposed to just like by way of contrast, you know, in San Francisco uh, many years ago Marriott built this new hotel that was going to have nine hundred workers and it was going to be a non union hotel, and the hotel union decided like this is critically important to what we're doing here in San Francisco. Like we can't build our union if we don't organize this hotel. And they spent nine years fighting to win a first contract at that hotel. And eventually they did. Um,
0: Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna take a little more time. Um, But yeah, I, I guess I wanted to, i nato you kind of like dropped the bomb early on in this program which by the way thank you for everyone who's here all the patrons and all the new folks welcome bienvenidos extra content you're welcome um but you were talking about like the idea that the fetishization that like white people and others on the left have of like black liberation and the idea that like you know black people are complicated just like all people are complicated. And and, um, the fact that they're in the, yeah, crosshairs of different kinds of oppressions will not necessarily mean that, like, you can skip steps in terms of union organizing. In fact, it means you really need to not skip steps and do it even more, you know, to the T and letter. Um, But I wanted to go back to an earlier discussion we were having similar to this, which is about, like, you know, Robin, you talk about, you know, black radical imagination and all this. And then you have Jim Clyburn. Then you have the like, black people don't want, you know, we all we want everything has to be safe. And it has to be Joe Biden, you know, it's it's Joe Biden. And, and then that narrative of like, the idea that Black Americans, because they have a lot to lose, uh, maybe more so if a white fascist is in power, that you're going to vote for something that is safer, and and that's a strong narrative that I think mm-hmm. is, is um, you know, yeah. But so so when it comes to voting, it's like all of a sudden, oh, there's no more Black radical imagination. It's all it's it's <laughs> pragmatism. <laughs> How do you talk about that push and pull there?
1: Right, right. Well, it all comes down to again whether Trotsky said it first but that people are combined and uneven, you know? And the unevenness is, has to do with class, location, age. And so let's just take the Democratic Party. I mean, you know, you could divide up the, the Black Democrats in so many different categories. There are those right. who who do vote not out of pragmatism, but out of party loyalty. I mean, there's a lot of Black Democrats who just, it doesn't matter, straight Democratic ticket. Right. Um, then, you know, and I think um, there are those who uh, were nostalgic for, of all things, the Clinton years. Mm. Although these are terrible years for us, but it doesn't matter, there's a nostalgia for that. And Biden, more than any other candidate, represented that moment, that, that right. you know, because of the connection to Obama, the Obama-Clinton sort of pathway was seen as the safest, not just the safest bet, but the best bet. So it wasn't even just pragmatism; right. it was a real loyalty. Um, and then there was also the pragmatism argument made the most sense on this election cycle because we're dealing with the kind of fascism or neo-fascism of Trump, and so there, there, there's there's a logic to that. Uh, but but I like to think historically, and I think if you go back. Um, well, two things is to say. One, mm-hmm. if you go back to Jesse Jackson, a lot of black people weren't coming off of Jesse Jackson in 84. We're not. Despite, we're not. Yeah. Despite the fact that he had the best, his, his his campaign had the best agenda, the best platform by far. 88 was a little different. Um, and that wasn't pragmatism either. That has to do with a lot of different things. It has to do with ideology, it has to do with um Party loyalty. It has to do with Black politicians who have their own constituencies who are saying, don't vote for Jackson. But eventually, so in other words, we don't always vote our sort of straight class and race and gender interests. Right. There's so much complicated. So much. If and- he
0: were Black, he probably would still have the machinery of the Democratic Party against him, as Jesse right. Jackson did. Um, and I think that's interesting, you know, and I think this is where we sort of get this is where the sort of body cams and, you know, really white, like washed out reforms sort of confuse a lot of Democrats. Um, right, right. But was can I just fighting. say one more
1: thing? Yeah, no, which, no, which, yeah, please. Which is that um, there's, you know, the question is well, always, well, why didn't you get more black voters for Bernie Sanders? A lot of the black voters went for Elizabeth Warren. Mm-hmm. And this is the, the black feminists that I know went for Warren. And we've got to understand that too you know, wasn't just Sanders versus, you know, Biden, but Warren was seen as also a progressive.
0: And Warren was also seen as actually reaching out and doing doing the work that perhaps Bernie didn't do as well. And I'm someone who, look, I think Warren was straight Daenerys. I think she totally betrayed the progressive movement, but <laughs> I, you know, that's like, that's me. But Did she try and do the work with the grassroots organizations that she needs to reach out to, to actually like listen to women and specifically women of color? I think so. Did she also say she was part Cherokee, even though she wasn't and contributed to a book called Pow Wow Chow? Yeah. But anyway, we don't (laughs) we don't have to talk about that. Um, There is a question in the comments, And thank you so much, Haya, for being here about um, where you guys both see the going back to Bessemer. Like, where does the fight um, go to now um i don't know nato am i wrong about the idea that it's not lost because the media narrative has been sort of lost and that it or do you think this is a kind of a big setback uh
2: no i don't i don't think it's 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 lost i mean i think you know it makes amazon the poster case of why we need to pass the pro act in the mm-hmm. senate um to to because you know without like because like You know, what you don't what you don't know until you try to organize a union is that whatever you think about your like, you know, civil, your First Amendment rights and your freedoms as an American do not. They stop when you go to work. Uh, Mm. The American workplace is a totalitarian environment. So, um, uh you know, it might be with a benevolent fascist dictator, but it's still a totalitarian environment where you don't have rights. So, um, so like the, you know, the PRO Act is is critical. And, and I think, um, you know, the interesting thing about Amazon is clearly they can afford it, right? Um, Clearly, because of the nature of their business model, there's a limit to their ability to close plants, to close these distribution centers, they need to have a widely spread network of distribution facilities and what we have seen going back to the 1934 general strike of longshoremen uh, in san francisco is that and you know more recently sarah nelson and the flight attendant stopping the federal government shutdown by you know having flight attendants sick outs at two or three airports like that the movement of things and people in the united states is what you know what you would call a choke point Mm -hmm. for capitalism and the mm. ability of, and so those workers have like a level of structural power that, you know, many other types of workers do not. Um, because you
0: can't outsource the warehouse. Like you can't just ship this, move this warehouse. Cause I'm like, well, what if you move it to Guatemala? And then, but then you right, lose your two day shipping.
2: Because then you lose your two day shipping and and the model depends on being able to get the thing there in two days. Um, okay. And so, you know, it's um, the, so what probably what is going to have to happen and you know hopefully like th- these conversations are underway but you know there's going to need to be like a multi-union you know national effort that has you know 100 organizers and 20 million dollars in 5 years um to you know to do a like national organizing drive at these major Amazon distribution hubs around the country. Mm-hmm. There's, I, you know, that conver- that has been sort of percolating um, around the country for a while. Like, you know, you probably saw, you know, there was some stuff where like some Somali workers in Minnesota at, at Amazon facilities were doing job actions um, mm-hmm. in the last couple of years. So, you know, some of that's, and and the Teamsters have talked about organizing an Amazon facility. I want to say in, in, uh Ohio or Iowa—I to get it wrong, you know—but they talked about just doing a strike for recognition. So I don't think it's over with Amazon, and I don't think it's over with Bessemer. Um, you know, probably if you know, based on how aggressively Amazon has fought the union, probably they're going to go ahead and fire the organizers or the people that they've identified. But mm-hmm. um, you know, I think the, you know, as Robin said, like the the because of the centrality of Amazon in the economy right now across the country and the visibility of their brand. I just think this problem's not going to go away. Um, and there's going to continue to be energy to to address it.
0: Robin, what are your thoughts?
1: <laughs> Ditto. I can, I couldn't be more brilliant than that. I mean, you know, I think that's all true. Um, and I do hope I do hope the AFL CIO is willing to put some resources into this? Because, you know, you're right. You're talking about $20 million, five-year campaign. That's the question. Yeah.
0: And who builds the, I mean, in terms of those community ties, you know, in terms of the faith-based community, in terms of getting the support from broader Alabamans, like wh- what does that then look like, especially if, and you've written about that, mm-hmm. organizers are painted like socialists, you know, and they're painted They're you know, the whole red scare crap.
1: Right. Well, there's some great lessons. I I always point to Greensboro, North Carolina, mm. 1996. I think it was the campaign against Kmart, mm. and that was a real community-based campaign, um, and they won. They they it was between the city council being able to pass uh, uh, a living wage law, especially for incoming companies. It was you know like oh, the Ministerial Alliance. You know, people came out in support. And it has to look like the Montgomery bus boycott. You know, you have to have a whole community uh, invested. And you know, we saw the same thing in LA back in the 80s when the Van Nuys plant was about to leave and they organized a community-based campaign which forced it to stay at least for a little while before mm-hmm. it eventually- This was an auto factory. Right, auto factory in Van Nuys. So um, you've got to have a community-based uh, I think otherwise, it's just hard. You can't just help. you sort of parachute in and do yeah. that work.
2: And and just that that the the you know the community base has to be a community base that is relevant to the workers in that in that workplace, right? So it like you know it can't just be whatever the like random DSA chapter happens to be, but right. you know it might be like uh you know like i like i've done this in organizing drives where i'll just ask workers or you know like what are the things they're involved in and it might be some you know like weird you know big brother big sister thing or you know or not weird but like something that that doesn't tradi- we don't traditionally think of as being part of worker struggles or social movements
0: yeah how can i mean there's a question from Brent and thank you Brent for the question about whether or not the precedent of being covered by the media you know, in ways that not a lot of union drives are, it's like a blessing and a curse. But do you think that that means, will it set a precedent for the future? Do you think we're still going to be covering and talking on Amazon? And is it helpful or is it better to sort of like fly under the radar even?
2: I mean, I I will say like, what I appreciate about this is that for a lot of reporters, this has been a crash course in how to cover labor. Mm
1: -hmm. Because
2: like once upon a time, there was a big enough labor movement that a lot of, that it was sort of normal that newspapers had a labor beat, uh, right. and that, and as the, you know, and there was and, a movement <laughs> and there was a movement and as journal, as the labor movement has declined and as journalism has, you know, been like decimated, you know, in, labor, need of a union. in need of a union labor reporters, you know, are fewer and far between. And so there are, you know, people like, you know, with Substacks doing, you know, incredible labor reporting. Um, okay. but, uh, they it, and so it's just like it's it you know it's shocking how consistently reporters get basic stuff wrong about like the NLRB and is the, the election and the complaint and the charge and the you know right. I
0: like, don't is thirty percent you, you need what what's the vote you need thirty
2: you you need thirty percent to trigger an election yeah but to, but to win the election you need a majority of those voting
0: I knew that at one point
2: point. Uh, right. and so. Like there's just a bunch of technical stuff about, you know, and so like reporters have gotten a lot of, um, uh, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of orientation. Just what I say about it in terms of what happens next is, did I freeze? Oh, you froze, but you're good. In terms of of what happens next is that like, because, you know, last year I organized a strike of 3000 public health workers in in Oakland, Mm -hmm. um, uh, over basically unprivatizing the public health system, and we won. Um, and the and it was a workforce that was eighty percent people of color. Uh, um, and uh, the but there were very few big strikes last year. Um, and there are a lot of people who are hoping that as we come out of this pandemic, that there's been it will be a lot of pent up energy among workers. And so what I'm hoping is that anyone who can strike should strike. That's my, that's my message is mm-hmm. if you can't like people are like, what are you going to strike over? Who cares? Find something, find something and strike over it. Because you mean an
0: Amazon or just anywhere?
2: Anywhere, anywhere okay. that people can figure out how to organize a strike. Do that. Like, Find a reason. Find of come up with a demand that is big enough. Well, you
0: need a lot of step. You gotta do the, the structure test. I keep on saying structure the, test because the only one I remember, but you I, gotta do a structure
2: the test, you gotta frame the hard, choice. You, gotta, the hard I, choice. you gotta need to have a credible plan to win. You gotta mm-hmm. ID organic leaders and not just mobilize activists. You gotta do all that mm-hmm. stuff. But uh but I you with know every, but you have but the goal has to be militant confrontation with the employer through mm-hmm. strikes. Right.
1: Right. Mm. Yeah, and and I would I would just remind us that there's a strike going on thirty minutes away from the warehouse, uh, in Tuscaloosa County, at the Warrior Met uh, Mines. Not a mine worker strike. Where um, a third of the workers are black. They're on strike. Eleven hundred workers. They had had a series of wage cuts. Uh, you know, six dollar wage cut. Then then they're trying to get a, a new contract with more wage cuts, and they refuse. And the Bessemer uh, action inspired, I think, um, this action. Now, they're on strike as we speak. And one of the things that um, uh, the warrior Met um, minds did was they implemented this horrific kind of four strike policy where if you miss work four times within a 15 uh, week period, you're fired automatically. Uh, And these these work in 10, 12 hour shifts. So this is a struggle going on right now that we, also, I think we should pay attention to as well. No, oh,
0: th- that's great though, and that's perfect in terms of yeah. Wh- let's see if the same labor reporters are gonna cover that the mining the miner strike over in Alabama. What's the company called, or what's the? It,
1: it's called Warrior Met. Warrior it's one Met. One of these yeah companies that um, was bought out uh, by when bankrupt and was bought out in 2016 2015 or so. And you know, of course the CEO makes like made like four million dollars last year. Mm. And and these people are asking for more than three days off a year. Three three days, you know. And I mean it's just it's terrible.
0: I wanted to wrap with one final question for Robin, but Nato, did you wanna add anything about the Bessemer stuff?
2: Uh uh or-
0: or ask Robin a question unrelated. Uh,
2: yeah, I want to. I want. I want to share something, which is so we we were talking about. Or share uh, something. So we were talking about Cedric Robinson and Black Marxism earlier, and recently I was I was I, I went back to it. I was in some study groups of a certain character in my twenties, and then the new edition of the book came out, and I got it and, I was, and so they're just in this, you know, you you all were talking about the the book and it and it's and it's uh you know fascism earlier, mm-hmm. and there's a there's a footnote. Uh, in the book that I've I've been haunted by recently, um, and the footnote is where he's talking. It's, it's it's about Richard Wright, and the footnote says uh, if I he's talking about about I think white communists, and he said if uh, Richard Wright says if uh, if I should write a bigger Thomas through the lens of how the party views them in terms of political theory, I did, uh, or if I, if I should write of Negroes through the lens of how the party views them in terms of political theory, I'd abandon the bigger Thomases. I'd be tacitly admitting they are lost to us that fascism will triumph because it alone can enlist the allegiance of those millions whom capitalism has crushed and maimed. Yes, Uh, and I've been I've been really like haunted by that sentence recently, and and I just wanted to see if you had any reaction to that.
1: Yes, you know I've read every footnote in that book, by the way. So that's a very important observation, and this is Richard Wright's point in Native Son was that you know just the the violence. Of capitalism pro- doesn't produce automatically a revolutionary proletariat. It can produce fascism. What? Yes. <laughs> and, and so the big, so that that recognition that bigger Thomas, because bigger Thomas's murder of 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 both Mary Dalton and Bessie, both of those are the fascist tendencies within. Mm. And and it's such. It's, it's. I'm so glad you brought that up because. We have this romantic idea of like the working class shall be all shall save us, but it's the same working class that has the potential for, um, you know, and that's what we're talking about: differentiated value. The same working class, not all of it, but segments of it, fractions of it, you know, um, within the, a particular interregnum, could actually produce the kind of violence that capital needs to reproduce itself. Um, especially in times of crisis. So we just, we, we have to be optimistic without being romantic. We have to be, you know, visionary without necessarily being, you know, blind about it. And we got to get away from the basic identity politics that says that certain people are just automatically born revolutionary. Cause I know it's not true. I'm old enough to know that.
0: Uh, And it's, yes agreed and and at the same time i feel like i see a lot of there there's fragments of the left who are not leftists but who are flirt with more comfortable flirting with fascism who are like Nah, because identity politics has been so bastardized by neoliberals and Democrats, mm-hmm. um, I'm just gonna go over and embrace like the Boogaloo boys or I think that's cr- or or you know, you know, and people who like I actually do respect, <laughs> not Jimmy Dore or, or motherfuckers like that, but like, you know, there have been analysis from folks like I respect who look at the Capitol Six riots and are like, Why weren't we organizing them?
1: <laughs> you know, and it's like right.
0: No. And also the other there, though, that's not the working class, right. man. It's not the work, like,
1: exactly. It's not these the are
0: fucking business owners. These people took private planes over. I'm not saying there weren't a few folks who were, were working, class, but the working class is essential workers, man. Like, mm-hmm. so just again, the like, just the also the ways that populism has been bastardized, too. And that, that notion that like, oh, yeah, left populism and right populism is the same thing. And, yeah if you're racist and you just ignore you know your anti-racist politics um this is also good my last question for you robin and then I'll let you go is you know you write a lot about art and culture um and so we're comics we get paid in drink tickets sometimes we we're, we're out here struggling but who are you who are you listening to these days who are your go-tos what's in your uh, playlist a- <laughs> In terms, in terms of, of music,
1: music. In terms of in music. In terms of music. Because to be honest, I'm, I'm always listening to, to audiobooks, you know. Um <laughs> Are you one I of know those? That's that's, that's a, it's, you know, I have so much work to do. I sometimes that's how I get it done. Um, but in terms of who I'm listening to, I've, I've just, been, we've been, been listening, listening to the
2: Count of Monte Cristo audiobook with my family. My my kids are into it.
1: Oh really? Oh yeah. wow, that's that that's great. <laughs> I'm I'm you know, I, I've I've actually listened well, I won't even tell you what I listen to in terms of audiobooks. <laughs> Um, but in terms of music, I'll just give you a list. Um, Terry Lynn Carrington, Nicole Mitchell, the great flutist, composer, mm-hmm. James Brandon Lewis, who has this wonderful new album um, dedicated to um, uh, George Washington Carver, heroes are gang leaders, look them up. If you if you take the, it's an acronym for Hegel, but great poet, um, uh, you know, um, Thomas Sayers, um, uh, um, Alice, as well as the hip hop artist no name uh yeah. Samora Pinderhughes, uh okay. Issa Davis, who is not singing anymore, but I go back to her records uh the great violinist Jennifer Coe um and Tomika Reed, and also I host a podcast on Errol Garner, so listen oh, to wow. yeah, 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 you know that it's like i have a, I have a whole other world.
0: I thought you were busy, yeah, I thought you had no time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, right. No, but I, it's a it's a fun podcast. And my next guest, my final guest, actually, uh, will be um, Cecile McLorin Salvant, the great singer, talking about Errol Garner. But we've had I've had all kinds of people on.
0: What's the podcast called?
1: It's called Errol Garner Uncovered, Earl Garner and I Uncovered. talk to great musicians about Earl Garner: um, Vijay Iyer, Jason Moran. Christian McBride, Terry Lynn Carrington, all kinds of people, but Ch- the late Chick Corea, who was a friend of mine, who wow. passed away recently.
0: <sighs> Amazing, I know. <laughs> you that sounds like a great life. That's a great playlist equals great life. Um, yeah. thank you, Robin, so much for taking the time to talk to us. It's really, um, I, I'm very honored, and and thank you for being so gracious with your time.
1: Yeah, and thank you, and and just for your your audience should know that you were like the most brilliant student that NYU, NYU has ever had, so they should know that you know you're a genius. <laughs> That's um, not
0: saying that much, but um, <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah, good good old BA. All right, yeah. bye, Robin. Thanks. Take good care, okay. NATO. Thanks. Thank you. Great to see you. Later. Bye, everybody. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for being a patron. Love you. Mwah, 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 mwah. Bye.